everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the 12 Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck. I write for The Athletic, and each week I ask the same 12 questions to a different race car driver. Up next is a guy who right now is only an occasional race car driver, but he's one of the most interesting people in NASCAR, in my opinion, and that is Tommy Joe Martins, who is driver slash general manager for Alpha Prime Racing. Tommy Joe, last year, had, I think, one of the best 12 questions interviews of the year and just always seems to have fascinating things to say, share some insight into like the financial side of the sport and the business aspects of things that, I mean, even as somebody who travels off into the races that I don't realize or I don't think about or I don't exactly know the numbers, um, and Tommy Joe is willing to share that kind of stuff. So wanted to get him back on here, especially after Denny Hamlin's question for the next person. As soon as Denny Hamlin asked that, I thought, oh, I bet Tommy Joe Martins would be good to ask this. I don't know if you listened to last week's episode, but it was about uh, a way that teams can get the best 36 drivers out there on the track every week and not have to worry about worry about sponsorship as much and all that. So anyway, I uh, hope you enjoyed this interview, and let's go ahead and get right into it. All right, everybody, I'm back on the 12 questions with Tommy Joe Martins, one of the best guests of all of last year. Figured we'd have you back, Tommy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I, that, that's a lot of hype for me, Jeff. I hope I can uh, live up to it. I think you will. I think you will. I always like what you have to say. So we'll jump right into it here. Uh, the first question is, how do you feel about people reclining their seats on airplanes? Oh, strongly against. Uh, I think if you do it, you, you know, you're really just you're really just rude to other people. Is really all you're doing. Uh, that is a personal pet peeve of mine. I've actually gotten onto my crew members on airplanes for doing it. Uh, do not do it unless there is nobody behind you or it's like a child or somebody very small. Um, and I say this as a six foot three inch person, right? Like I'm living with it. I'm not rolling my seat back on you. Like you don't, you don't have to do that either. Yeah, no, I, I was hoping that uh, a lot of people would think along your lines this year, but, uh, it's, it's been kind of, I've been kind of surprised at how many people are like, no, I'm, I'm fine with it. Go ahead. But I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. with you. Like I don't do it. So I, I was hoping to start a movement, but it just hasn't worked out that way. Well, race car drivers are selfish people, uh, in large <laughs> part. So I understand the thinking from a lot of it. Okay. Uh, the question, the second question is, um, how often do you get recognized at the grocery store? Never literally never ever um and maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's why i've managed to stay i guess a little bit humble i'd probably argue that with probably my parents and also just the fact that probably nobody cares who finished 20th in the xfinity series in the last <laughs> couple of years just realistically so that's not really happening to me much okay okay uh on a scale of one to ten how good are you at replying to text messages in a timely manner uh, eight. I mean, I'm one of those people that hate seeing the red dot on their phone. Mm. Uh, so like my mailbox, even on my emails, I have like three emails right now. Uh, I mean, I'm not one of those people that has like a thousand notifications. So that's the thing for me, right? I, I can't stand a notification sitting there for a long period of time. I just kind of deal with it and move on. Okay. Yeah, okay. no, that's, that's very understandable. Um, what is the best way to get out of a conversation with someone who won't stop talking? Oh, uh, I mean, you just, you gotta be polite, right? Uh, that's where it starts. 
and I, maybe a little body contact, right? Like a pat on the shoulder or something, <laughs> you know, you go, man, it's been great seeing you. And you just, and that's it. You just got, we, you kind of wrap it up. You go, okay. well, all right, I got to get back to it. And you kind of pat him on the shoulder and that's kind of the universal sign for we're wrapping this up. You, you know, you're the first person all year to say, to bring up the, the physical contact part of it. Like, you know, that's, that's, that's sort of the extra sign. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean here, but I'm just kind of giving you the indication that this conversation's over, you know? Yeah. A handshake, a pat on the shoulder, just the old, all right, bud. You know, one of those kind of moves. Yep. If you could pick only one form of social media to use and drop all the rest, which would it be? Twitter. It's by far Twitter. I mean, I, I feel like it lends itself probably better to my personality. Uh, there is a multimedia aspect of it, right? But for the most part, it's just uh, a medium for thoughts, really. And, and sometimes a lot of really bad thoughts, a lot of really <laughs> bad takes out there. But it's, it's really a place where, where people can interact uh, more so than, than anything else, right? I feel like with Instagram, it lives in a world of like you're kind of presenting yourself in the best version of yourself, whereas Twitter to me feels just like more authentic of what people are really wanting to act or react like. Um, yeah. Now they might do that behind a screen name or whatever, but I just think it becomes a truer sense of what people are actually thinking or doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, what advice would you give someone who is having a hard time getting over a mistake they've made? Uh, okay. Well, I can relate that to, um, something that happened to us pretty recently. Uh, so Raja Karuth drives for us. Uh, he made a mistake at Pocono, we crashed on the second lap, uh, trying to get back in line after a restart and on hooking Alex LeBay at the left rear and, and wrecking both the cars. And I think that was really the first time that Raja had, had kind of been embarrassed, right? Like Raja is so good. And he's handled himself so well, and he's so prepared, and he's such a good driver. He just hadn't made a lot of big mistakes, right? So that was one of the first ones that he made. Give him much advice. I just, like, nobody can help you with this. This is just what this feels like. Um, and that's part of it, right? That's part of his development is he's going to make mistakes. And when you're making mistakes at the national series level, they're, they're all very visible. They're high-visibility mistakes um, where people can – comment make fun of you and tweet at you or respond on a post or whatever right it's you're not making a mistake at hickory you know on a saturday night show you're making a mistake on national television and in the case of raja he had an in-car and everything else and i just told him like you're still great you just made a mistake right and, it, and it's about like this feeling that you have of making a mistake that's why you're going to be less likely to make another one right mm. like you don't want to feel like this again and so in that moment, I'm not telling you don't be aggressive, but you're going to be more thoughtful about it, right? When you, rather than trying to squeeze in there on the second lap, he's probably going to be like, you know, it's a long race. I can maybe make a, better, a smarter decision here. So that's it. It's just like those feelings, you know, those, those emotions that you feel in racing. I mean, uh, you know, that's a huge part of what we do, right? And especially driving for smaller teams, it's, it's mostly you're going to be disappointed, right? I would say even at the front of the field, probably a lot of those guys get out of cars and they're disappointed at the end of the day, right? They feel like they should be winning and they don't win. Mm. So part of that, like Raj is leading the arc points this year and he's had a good year. And it's like, yeah, this was the first real gut punch that he's had. 
It's just about how is he going to deal with it moving forward, right? So that wasn't like, you know, how do you deal with somebody? You know, what, what advice do you give them? The advice you give them is keep going. You just got to keep going. Like that's part of it. Part of it of what we do is you're going to make mistakes at a high level and they're going to be costly mistakes. And people are going to get mad or frustrated, but you just got to go to the next race. That's all you can do. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's really smart. Um, so this is next one's a wild card question where I'm, I'm mixing it up for each person. And I wanted to check in with you sort of on the state of alpha prime racing. You know, you've been able to give a lot of opportunities to various drivers this year and got some really cool stories out of it giving people opportunities that have sort of been, um, hoping for a chance. Um, do you think that that's how it will be for a while or like next year, are you trying to get someone in the seats full time? How, how do you see that developing? Yeah, we're definitely aiming for people full time. Um, I think the biggest thing that's probably hurt my team from a performance standpoint is probably that consistency. Right. And so I've been around this stuff for a long time, Jeff, but really this is my first time managing a two car team and, all the resources and the people and managing multiple drivers. Uh, really my first time managing multiple drivers like this and our lineup changing so much. And I realize now that there's a benefit to the consistency in, in the car, right? Um, I think all of our drivers have done a good job. It's just when you're working with somebody week in and week out, you develop a rapport and a consistency and, and that's where a team like ours would benefit, right? We know we're not going to have the greatest car. We're probably not going to have the greatest motor. Um, we're not going to have the most amount of people in the shop to be prepared. But if we know the person getting in the car every week is comfortable and consistent and fast, well, then it probably allows us to perform a little better overall over the course of the season. So that's what we're aiming for. We know that that's probably the number one way that we can do it. And I think the fact that we've given so many opportunities to so many people, um, everybody's been really positive. Like everybody's gone back to their partners and sponsors and gone, you know, this is a pretty good thing they're building over there. We want to do more with them next year. And that's been pretty much unanimous from everybody we've had. And, and that's going to allow us to, to grow our team and, and potentially lead to more consistent finishes and, and better performance overall. Okay. Um, so if someone blatantly wrecked you to win a race, would you interrupt their celebration? Oh man. Um, yeah, probably. I would. <laughs> I I know how I handle things, right? Um, I've had that happen to me. And obviously, we got intentionally wrecked at Road America a few weeks ago. And, you know, I fired off a tweet and commented on it and was pretty pretty mad about it. Whereas Sage Karam, our driver, was a lot more, you know, restrained uh, in the way he handled it. So would I interrupt it? Uh, also, you got to remember, Jeff, you're talking to me. So if this was like my chance to win a race. <laughs> like I, I, haven't, I haven't had that chance very often. Uh, so, yeah, I would be really, really bad. And, uh, yeah, it would definitely be interrupted. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. What movie do you think you've seen the most times over the last year? Probably Top Gun. Oh, the new uh, one or the old one? Well, I've, I've probably watched the old one two or three times and watch the new one twice so yeah just top gun in general the top gun universe <laughs> in general god that second the new top gun is so good i mean it's just so it's good isn't it so good it is incredible that's i mean it takes a lot to get me to a movie theater twice to see the same movie 
And that was like a no doubter. That was, when can we go back? The sooner, the better. Uh, it was awesome. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. Uh, when you think about NASCAR five years from now, what are you the most optimistic about and what worries you the most? I'm optimistic about our, our willingness to change up the schedule and take chances. Uh, that's a good thing. Because uh, that's something we didn't have for a really long time. It was just, this is the way it's going to be. Um, and I do think that Ben has um, taken a look at that uh, and and really been bold about it. Um, I am I am pessimistic that, that it feels like as NASCAR, we're losing some of our identity in that, right? Like we talk about scheduled diversity and wanting a dirt race, and wanting a street circuit race, wanting all these road courses, and we want to be international and we want to be all that. Well, I don't know. I mean, I feel like NASCAR's identity was still rooted in like short track culture and kind of connecting to the Southeastern market in a lot of ways. Right. And, you know, part of me is just nostalgic for that because I do feel like we are losing some of that identity. Right. If if we just do everything that formula one does, but on a smaller scale, well then what is the identity of NASCAR? Uh, I think we've kind of lost that. And that's it. I just, there's a line there where we still want to connect, um, to kind of our roots in a way that I worry about. And, and I worry about that. I worry about the future of my series, the Xfinity series. Where does it fit in with the next gen car and, and the way that we're going with technology? Um, I worry about the pace structure. I mean, I, I've heard Denny Hamlin comment about, uh, you know, reorganizing uh, the money. You know, I wrote an article for you a long time ago about the <laughs> yeah. money in NASCAR, right? On your, on your old website, jeffcluck.com. Uh, great website, uh, assistant, <laughs> uh, assistant deputy writer here, uh, wrote an article about the way the money's broken up and how that needed to change. So I'm pessimistic of whether or not that will change. So I know it, it's got to with this new TV deal and that's going to restructure so much about our sport. Like that's something that as a reporter, Jeff, I don't think you can say enough about because the way that this TV deal is going to get structured. It's going to change everything. It's going to change um, how teams operate moving forward. It's going to change the series that we go to uh, or that we have operating. It's going to, it's going to change the markets that we go to. So um, there's so much still up in the air and all of that's going to get settled out here in the next couple of years. Wow. That's fascinating to think about. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good insight. Um, so a magic genie appears and offers you the chance to go back to the beginning of your racing career and start all over. But the catch is that you get to retain all the knowledge and experience that you have now. So do you accept the offer to go back or do you stay where you are in the present? I go back a hundred percent. Um, you know, I hear stories now of guys that have roughly the amount of sponsorship that I had when I started, which was not big big money, right? We're talking about a few hundred thousand dollars a year. And I look at where it's gotten. And so I think about the beginning of my career. um, I think there's an element to this, Jeff, of like, I never paid the people that I was supposed to pay to get ahead in this. Um, Like I never signed with an agency because an agency always wanted me to pay them up front. And I was like, why am I paying you? I can just, 
start my own team or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and we did it a lot of the wrong ways. Like we didn't have the knowledge. And, and now being on the business side a lot more, I mean, I see the value and the knowledge that these agencies bring to the table that, um, you know, the people that have been in the business a long time bring to the table. We took at it as like, nobody's ever going to care about our money or the sponsorship we raise as much as we will. And what I realized was like, that's great. But they're also just, they're not going to help you. Hmm. And you're going to be doing a lot of this on your own. And, and I did a lot of it on my own and it didn't really get me anywhere. Like I noticed other people um, like Jeremy Clements and Ryan C and Brandon Brown and Joey Gase now with his own team. Like those are guys that are talented race car drivers and they're good. And in the case of, Several of them, they've made the playoffs in the Xfinity series. And who's calling them on the phone to drive a cup car? Like, they don't even get mentioned. And that's really weird to me. Um, because I think about with Martin's Motorsports and what we did, like Jeremy Clements and Ryan C. and Brandon Brown. Like, Brandon Brown won a race. Jeremy Clements won a race. All three of those organizations made the playoffs. Like, that was the perfect version of Martin's Motorsports, right? And so let's say that that happened to me, Jeff, like we had won a race and made the playoffs. Well, what we know is that the end result was like, nobody was going to call me. Like I Mm. still wasn't going to get any kind of cup opportunity. Like the people that get those cup opportunities are the people that go through major teams or major agencies. And like, I should have just done that when I was really young. And yeah, the money was intimidating. Like the idea of paying, you know, a hundred something, thousand dollars a race to drive for whoever like we were just like wow we would never do that and what i realized now is like when you don't do that you're probably not going anywhere because those are the power brokers and those are the people that move careers Hmm. and ryan priest drove for jd for a long time and then he took his shot right and ross drove for jd motorsports for a long time and then he got his shot with ganassi and it kind of went from there Right. And it's like you kind of have to take your shot with a top level team. And then it's like you just want to make sure you're prepared when you get there. And so I would have done things very, very differently. And I think my career would be in a very different place. Wow, that's super, super interesting. Very interesting answer. So that actually kind of ties in with this next question. And this is from Denny Hamlin. And uh, I didn't know who I was going to ask this to. And I just thought, you know what? I think you'd be really good to weigh in on this. So uh, a little bit of a longer question here, but here's, here's what his question is. Um, how do you see a system where we can get the best talent available in our teams versus doing whatever it takes to make our team survive financially? How can, how can we create that system? Whether it's a draft where you reach certain qualifications and you make it to the level, or then you're allowed a certain amount of credentials at that level. And then you're eligible to be drafted up. Um, how can we create a system where the 36 best drivers are out on the racetrack every Sunday. Well, unfortunately those are tied together. It's financial independence for the teams, which they don't have now. Uh, They have, I mean, including my team, it is completely dominated by sponsorship. So if our budget for a year is $2 million per car in the Xfinity series, I'm only going to get paid less than half of that by the prize money. Right. So like I'm still, even at the level I'm, I'm having to go out and raise a million to a million and a half dollars just to get back to zero, mm. right? So can I really go looking for the best drivers? Like, no, I have to look for the best drivers that also have sponsorship, right? Like, that's that's really what it is. Um, and that's kind of what Denny's referencing there is, 
how do we make sure it's the 36 best drivers, period? But it has to start with financial independence from the teams. The teams can't depend on sponsorship to break even. Like sponsorship has to be what helps you get ahead, not what helps you just get back to zero. Um, and I think we've had a system for a really long period of time that has been so dominated by expecting the teams to lose money. And that if they don't, it's okay, somebody else will. Like if one team goes out of business, like I think about Furniture Row won the Cup Series championship and then went out of business like, what, a year later? I mean, that just – that's remarkable. Like that yeah. doesn't happen. So he talks about a draft. I don't think it's a draft, right? But one of the ways you could probably do it, and I've thought about this, is there has to be much stricter rules for who can drive the race cars. Right. So like you think about Formula One, there's like points on the thing. Right. Where like yes, you have to on earn the super license on a super license. And, and there should absolutely be a version of that for NASCAR to where we just ensure that there's nobody that's going to be up there at that level that's going to embarrass us mm -hmm. at the national level. Right. Like because that's what chips away at it. Right. An average racing driver. Right. Like let's use me for an example. Right. I don't think I embarrassed the sport of NASCAR by being a part of it. Right. Like I didn't, I didn't do anything that ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, I might've been a part of some wrecks and stuff, but nobody looked at Tommy Joe Martins and went, wow, he shouldn't be out here. Right. right so like right. I was probably okay, but you have to make sure that you're keeping those people away. You can't do that because it erodes the credibility of the sport. Um, and that's it. You don't want anybody getting to the cup level that doesn't seem like it's justified that they need to be there. So whether that's success at the Xfinity level or success in IndyCar or another comparable form of high-level motorsports or, you know, like uh, World Outlaws or something, um, I think a super license type thing with a element of like a driver council, well, then it doesn't – at that point, it doesn't really matter if the person is a sponsor driver or not, right? There's only a certain number of people that even are qualified to drive the cars. Mm -hmm. So it, limit, it limits the pool of talent to where you're ensuring that, that there's nobody up there that doesn't need to be up there. And it can be the same kind of qualification thing for Xfinity and the truck series. Yeah, no, that, that would be fascinating. I, and I agree with you. I mean, everything you're saying makes total sense. So, um, so I don't know who the next interview is going to be with yet. Uh, you could either give a question I can ask anybody or when I know who it is, I can double back with you. And, uh, if you want to think of something specific for that person. Oh man, I like to shoot this off the cuff though. Uh, when did you feel like you made it in motorsports, right? Or in racing or as a driver or whatever kind of position they, they're at? What was the moment that they felt like they, they really belonged there, that they had made it, that they weren't like, you know, what, what was the moment that it all clicked a little bit? Because I think that's going to be different for whoever it is. Yeah. Oh, man, I love that. I love that. I might have to steal that one for next year's uh, 12 questions as well. I, I like that a lot. You know? Like, like, I felt that a lot. Like, man, I was kind of the fish out of water coming in here, right? I didn't have this long historic racing background in my family or anything. And we were, honestly, we were bad, right? Like, we were missing races and all that. And I didn't really feel like I belonged in, in NASCAR until, really, I was driving for BJ McLeod, probably, where I got a couple good finishes and I had other team owners telling me, like, hey, man, you're actually really good at this. And then there was like a level of confidence that I felt from that point forward. So I just, I know that's going to be different for every driver or crew member or whatever, but like, when did you feel like you finally belonged? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. 
Well, man, thank you so much for doing this again. I really appreciate it. And I think, uh, you know, people will like hearing from you again. So, so thank you for doing this. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it, buddy. All right, everybody. There you have it. Tommy Joe Martins on the 12 questions podcast. Sorry for a little, uh, zoom lag there. Tommy Joe was driving a uh, very busy guy, obviously, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't have much time with all the stuff he's juggling. So we were able to squeeze this in, but he was driving. So, uh, the signal dropped out a couple times there, but, uh, hopefully you were able to understand most of, uh, what was being said there. Anyway, next week on the podcast is going to be Indy 500 winner, Marcus Erickson. And, uh, he is also somebody that happens to be very much in the IndyCar championship picture, uh, former F1 driver for five years. So we'll talk a little bit about that and um, see what he has to say when it's his turn. Anyway, thanks so much for listening as always, and I will talk to you next time on the 12 Questions Podcast.